Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's 216 in the 216, and you know what that means? It means it's Laura's birthday. Happy birthday, Laura. It's Today in Ohio, the news Thank podcast you. discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and the birthday person, Laura Johnston. You going to have a good day, Laura, or are you going to work? Well, I mean, if I told you right now, oh, I'm not coming in, find someone to do this for me. And by the way, the state house doesn't have an editor. I don't think that would end up being a good day. So, yes, I'm going to work with my birthday crown on. So it will be a good day. Yes. Laura has a different headset for every holiday of the year, (laughs) probably in duplicates and triplicates. So she always makes it special. Let's begin. Is the anti-democracy move to weaken the power of the Ohio voters back on the agenda of Republicans in the Ohio Statehouse? Lisa, there are people that say this is to protect the Constitution. There's no way you can spin this. This is to weaken the power of the voters. And where does it stand? Well, House Speaker Jason Stevens has overcome his reluctance to uh, forward this. He has approved this proposal to raise the voter approval threshold on constitutional amendments to 60%. It's now officially called House Joint Resolution 1. It will go to the House Committee on Constitutional Resolutions now, which includes supporters of the would-be House Speaker Derek Marin, also Stevens, and Democrats are also on the committee. So House Joint Resolution 1 also requires petition signatures from all 88 Ohio counties instead of the current 44. And Stevens is indicating that he wants this to be on the ballot this November, but they have to approve everything by August. And when in talking to Derek Marin, he said, the number one issue is protecting the Constitution from liberal interests, trying to hide." <laughs> Does and he then, mean uh, just the people? Like he wants to protect his constitution from yeah. the people of Ohio? Such a cynical move. And it, and they must be counting on the abortion folks not getting it together in time to get something on the November ballot, because this is also about stopping that. This is one of the most cynical things that's ever been proposed in Ohio. But, but what'll be sad is if the gigantic campaign that's made to win over the voters works. If voters go to the polls vote against their interest, vote to weaken their ability to take matters into their own hands and change the Constitution this way. 
It'll be interesting to see what they do in their ads, you know. So, yeah, I don't know what kind of leg they're going to stand on. Maybe they can invoke the Chinese again. But, um, you know, on the other <laughs> side of the coin, a liberal advocacy group, Innovation Ohio, Desiree Tim says, this is a blatant power grab by special interests and corrupt politicians trying to undermine democracy. So people on both sides are pretty angry about it. I think there are enough groups that are going to come out to oppose this where I'm not sure that the messaging, no matter how much money is behind it, will get through this protect the Constitution. It's nonsense. I mean, if you look at the history, it's very hard to change the Constitution. Uh, but the, 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 look, this is the people that are in power just want to stay in power. And this is a neutralization of the people they purport to lead. Very cynical move by the new leadership in the state house. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Our state house Republicans planning to stick it to Ohio public schools in an altogether new way in their bid to reduce the state income tax again. Laura, this is more cynicism. You know it. If Republicans can figure out a way to keep more money in their pockets, they will do it. And even if that means $1.2 billion less for local governments, schools, libraries, and park districts. I, I don't know what this would break down. I think we need to look into it. How much individu individuals are really going to notice the increase in their paycheck? Because it's not a huge amount of money, but it adds up to a big amount of money, right? This is House Bill 1. It could create a flat state income rate, tax rate of 2.75%, although no Ohioan making less than 26000 a year would pay any income tax. That's the state. It would stay the same. Currently, our state tax rates range from 26 2.765% on people making 26000 up to 46000 and up to 3.99% for Ohioans making more than $115,000 a year, which obviously is, is not a lot of Ohioans. And they would phase out the cuts to the school districts. That would be the bulk of it, but also local governments, libraries, park districts. They would made made whole for a little bit, I just, I don't buy it. They're, they're calling this a subsidy, saying that these property tax rollbacks were created in conjunction with the state income tax in the 1970s. But if it's been since the 1970s, that is older than I am. And these governments are quite used to that in their budget. This was not extra money. So they these are going to mean cuts to services. Or again, like the last time they cut local government aid, it's going to mean in sales or you know income tax increases on the local side. Older than you are, even with your birthday being That's today. right. That's right. I was born in 80. <laughs> There's two things to, to, to note here. One, while this might not be a big amount of money for most Ohioans, it's a gigantic tax cut for the wealthy. This will save wealthy people a ton of money. So the Republicans in the state house are catering to a tiny percentage of very wealthy people. That's not a way to govern. The other thing is... This was put in when the income tax was created. This was the deal. Okay, we're going to create this income tax, but we're going to also take care of the districts that lose money on property taxes because we keep making exemptions for things. We don't want to harm them. To say that, you know, that was a transitional phase. It's been 50 plus years, right? I mean, that's not transitional. That was part of the deal cut to get people to vote for the income tax. Absolutely, which reminds me, it, my, my mind Im immediately went to John Kasich in 2011 saying, we need to balance the budget. We're going to do it on the backs of cities. We're going to cut in half the local government fund because they were like, oh, you don't need state aid to these cities. And what they didn't 
put out there immediately was that when the sales tax, the state sales tax was created in 1934, it was with the agreement that they would give part of this money back to the cities. And so I just, yeah, it, it, it they're just cutting to make themselves look good, to give more money to the rich, and they're going to hurt the cities and the, the school districts, the actual ones providing the day-to-day services in exchange. Think about it, what Stevens is proposing here. He wants to take money out of the schools and put it into the pockets of wealthy people. That's what this does. That mm-hmm. That's the only purpose here is to reward wealthy people that fund their elections. It's another ugly move. It'll be interesting to see how that debate goes. He does have Democrats supporting him. I can't imagine they're going to favor this. It's today in Ohio. Why did Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost decide to drop all charges against a reporter who was arrested while doing his job at a Mike DeWine press conference on the train derailment in East Palestine? Layla? Well, so we're talking about Evan Lambert, a reporter for News Nation who was shoved to the floor and handcuffed by Columbiana County Sheriff's deputies on February 8th after he refused officials' demands that he stop giving a live report while DeWine was talking at a press conference uh, that was outside a local elementary school. Lambert was charged with criminal trespass and resisting arrest, both are misdemeanors, and he was released on bond about five hours later. And the the county prosecutor there turned the case over to Yost's office, and he dismissed the charges with Governor DeWine's urging. He, he put out a statement saying that his his office reviewed the video and the other evidence and didn't feel that the charges were supported by the evidence. He said journalists could be arrested for trespassing in some instances, but this is not one of those cases. The reporter was just doing his job at a press conference that the governor called. And his conduct was completely in keeping with the purpose of the event and his role as a reporter. And and Yost even went a step further and cautioned law enforcement to kind of take it easy and tread lightly on the freedom of the press. He noted that tensions have been running pretty high, given the nature of this train disaster, and that the officers were taking cues from the National Guard. But, eh, okay, so the, the right thing was done here in this case. That's great. Well, maybe halfway done. Halfway. I mean, there should be the, the police should be held to account for violating this reporter's rights. Should point out Yost is a former journalist, right. so he understands what our business is about. Mm-hmm. But th- this was ridiculous. And then they lied about it. The, the video finally proved what happened, but they lied about it. They, the guy said the reporter was in a threatening posture to him. And so he put his hand up to protect himself. And that's just a flat out lie. So there should be consequences to the police who abuse their authority in this case. It would be nice to see Yost go the extra mile and do something about that. Yeah, it would be. I wonder if News Nation will take this up and press further for justice for Evan Lambert. Well, it violated his rights. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. You can see it on the video. The police were way out of line. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Do we already have bipartisan agreement from our new Ohio senator, J.D. Vance, and our veteran senator, Sherrod Brown, on the environmental matter in East Palestine? Probably not agreement, though, on Donald Trump being a cause of the problem, huh, Lisa? 
Certainly not that. And this is the second time in two days we've seen J.D. Vance be bipartisan. Uh, Sherrod Brown, our Democratic senator, says that we need a federal law that requires all railroads to notify states about when hazardous materials are going through their towns. And he said, you know, we need to find out what the government can do to prevent future accidents. But he placed the blame squarely on the Trump administration. He said that they repealed a regulation that required trains that are transporting oil to have electronically controlled pneumatic brakes, or ECP, by 2021, and repealing an Obama-era uh, rule that required two-person t- crews on trains. And we know that this East Palestine train only had one crew member. Uh, J.D. Vance, on the other hand, he did write a letter to Pete Buttigieg, the transportation secretary, along with Marco Rubio. And he says, you know, it has details on, you know, he wants details on how they oversee freight rail. And he also called into question Precision Scheduled Railroading, or PSR. He thinks it's a potential contributor to this crash. And PSR is is mean, means moving more freight with fewer workers. Vance also wrote a letter to Norfolk Southern CEO Alan Shaw, asking him to expand the financial reimbursement area to all of East Palestine, not just the evacuation area. And he said a letter to the EPA, along with Sherrod Brown and Pennsylvania senators, to hold Norfolk Southern accountable. Yeah, well, th- there's definitely a need for more regulation and transparency. The frustration came out very thickly last night when hundreds of people in that in that area attended a public meeting that Norfolk Southern decided not to show up for, which mm-hmm. only created more anger. the 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 challenge here is, according to Dewine and state officials, the water in the air has been tested and is safe. They say. And, but the people there don't trust that. And I don't know what the answer is for that. I, I don't either. I mean, you know, whenever there's an environmental situation and then there are experts coming out of the woodwork saying, we won't know the, you know, the true impact until 15 or 20 years down the road. There's a lot of misinformation going on out there uh, over this. And uh, the one thing, uh, although Vance you know, these things that he did sound great and, 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 you know, something he should be doing. But then he went on Tucker Carlson's show last night and blamed the crash on the Biden administration. <laughs> of course. I wonder if one of the answers is that the railroad should pay for 10 years of water well monitoring. You know, if there's a fear that these chemicals will eventually leach down into the reservoirs where they draw their water, Maybe the the railroad should have a, a expensive program to make sure that that water is safe for the long haul. We'll have to see. Clearly, it's a political football. J.D. Vance has put out a release saying he will tour the area today. You're listening to Today in Ohio. With this week being the fourth period this winter when we cruised into the 60s, breaking a record again on Wednesday, We asked reporter Pete Krause to find out the meteorological cause of this wonderfully mild winter. Laura, what did he learn? This is something called the North Atlantic Oscillation. It doesn't have the same headline juice of a polar vortex, but that's what's causing this. So that it's we're, we're actually in a La Nina winter that's characterized by colder than average Pacific Ocean temperatures, and that tends to drive colder air across the northern United States. But the weak, the La Nina is weak, and the Atlantic Oscillation is very strong. That's the measure of pressure between Greenland and the North Atlantic Ocean. And when it's in this positive phase, 
it, there's a strong low pressure system that keeps the cold air up north rather than letting it spill down into Ohio. So we get all the warmth coming up from the south. And because Ohio doesn't have, you know, like mountain ranges, it's pretty easy for southern air to come up here. And I have to agree with you. I was taking a walk yesterday with a friend and, and our my dog and I was like, this doesn't feel like my birthday, right? Like it feels like we're in going to spring break. Like we just skipped over all of March. Yeah, I I just cannot get over it. I mean, it's it's I don't think it's that unusual to hit a sixty degree day here and there mm-hmm. uh, in a winter, but but this is our fourth time that it racked up to that. And yesterday it was windy. It was windy as all get out, but it was a warm wind. I mean, it was mm-hmm. just very pleasant. I mean, how often in past winters have you had multiple periods where you can open your windows to air out your house? I mean, I literally sat and and prepped for this podcast on my front porch. Like, how bizarre is that, right? That was after I chased down two pillows from the front porch that had, <laughs> had, had blown into the neighbor's yard. But yeah, no, we are seven point, and it's not just this this period, right? We're up 7.3 degrees above normal in January. February, we're at 6.2 degrees above. We had that 85-year-old high break uh, on February 9th. We broke another record yesterday. So yeah, I mean, we've had one snow, really, um, mm-hmm. you, you might not have even had to shovel it if you waited long enough. I, I mean, good thing Boston Mills is still making snow when it gets low enough at night so that we skiers can still have a winter, but yeah, it's been, been warm. Yeah. It's, it's, I guess it's going to rain heavily in a bit today, but it's been just kind of a, a marvelous period here. I, I did think it was interesting that Pete in his story had the little line saying, you know, I'm hoping I'm not going to jinx it by writing about right. it. <laughs> right, so, that we're going to polar vortex right over the terminal right. tower. That was his line, yeah. yeah we don't want to get a blizzard. It's Today in Ohio. How much are Cleveland taxpayers handing over to a former police supervisor who was the subject of a series of false complaints by colleagues that got him fired? Layla, the outrageous story has a happy ending for this guy. It does. The city settled this case for $2.5 million. The city's going to pay $1.1 million to former Lieutenant Paul Bepler and $1.4 million to his attorneys at Bashine and Bashine. So I guess it has a, a brighter ending for the attorneys. <laughs> but the city also agreed to promote Bepler from lieutenant to captain in a private swearing-in ceremony that wasn't disclosed to the public. And in exchange, Bepler agreed to, to drop the lawsuit that he filed against the city and against former 4th District Commander Brandon Cutts and former Lieutenant Jason DeFranco in 2018. Then Bepler retired from the department on February 3rd, <clears throat> just after his 30th anniversary with the police department. Bepler, Bepler sued the city uh, when he was a lieutenant in the city's fourth district working under Cuts. The lawsuit accused Cuts and DeFranco of falsely accusing him of assaulting a fellow officer during a, a training session at a hotel and acting aggressively and belligerently to Cuts and a subordinate officer at the district headquarters. The security video from the hotel and other evidence seemed to contradict that story according to the lawsuit. And the lawsuit also says that that Cuts then tried to get rid of Bepler by either having him fired or forcing him to retire and began reviewing body camera videos of years-old incidents and filing internal disciplinary charges against him. And then he reassigned him to the night shift supervisor of the department's impound lot. Ouch. Uh, so Bepler complained to HR and accused Cuts of retaliation and creating a hostile work environment, but the department didn't investigate those claims, that, according to the lawsuit. Um, so. Um, 
Yeah. Good good day for 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 Paul Bepler. Yeah, it's a lot of money though that the taxpayers is. are putting it on is. the table for misbehavior by police. It's amazing how much misbehavior by police has cost taxpayers over the past 10, 15 years. That's a, that's a very good point. Wide open. Mm-hmm. And I think what you could have done with that money if exactly. your police just behaved themselves. That's right. Yep. You're listening to Today in Ohio. East Cleveland's traffic cameras have been the bane of east side drivers, partly because they were installed solely to generate revenue and partly because they did not have a buffer. Anyone driving even one mile over the speed limit got a ticket, which infuriated them. Why did East Cleveland City Council vote this week to get rid of those cameras finally, Lisa? They figured that keeping them was probably going to be more costly in the long run than getting rid of them. So yesterday, East Cleveland City Council approved a resolution to stop issuing tickets generated by traffic cameras. And they pointed to a 2019 state law that reduces state funding to municipalities by the amount generated by their traffic cam tickets. And that would have meant, like I said, lost revenues for East Cleveland that can ill afford it. East Cleveland and Newburgh Heights challenged that law, but it was upheld by the Ohio Supreme Court last year in a unanimous decision. But as of now, Newburgh Heights is still using their cameras. Uh, We'll see what happens in the future. And also, local governments have to pay costs and fees up front when they're taking civil action on uh, camera, you know, uh, camera citations, except in school zones. So they figured it's time to turn them off. We're hearing from people throughout Northeast Ohio that they feel like there's more recklessness, specifically on highways around here. There are a whole lot of people defending what Mayfield did in using a camera to slow down traffic on 271. Cleveland police have written a whole lot fewer tickets in the past few years than they were before. So you wonder whether this using these cameras would actually help do the speed patrol because they're colorblind. You don't have the racial bias that we often see, but I guess you can't because state law says if you do it, you lose your, your state money. Uh, it's just, it's an odd moment that you, you don't have enough police officers. They cannot hire enough police officers. The roads have become more dangerous. You could use automation to make them safer, but you can't. Well, and I've never been against traffic cameras. I mean, I went through the same thing in Houston like 10 years ago, and they got rid of them, and they were just at red light at intersections. But, you know, uh, it doesn't lie. I mean, a traffic camera doesn't lie. It catches you breaking the law. Yeah, the problem is the cynicism of the cities that did it. Cleveland put most of their cameras in a place to target suburban commuters. It was just a cash grab from suburban commuters. It was at the edges of the city on commuter routes. So it wasn't really aimed at, at safety like they claimed. They wanted the money. East Cleveland, clearly, it was always about the money. But if, if you could show, like Mayfield apparently is doing, this isn't really about that. This is about trying to keep the road safer. Would more people be in favor of the cameras? Yeah, they've actually caught a lot of speeders on that section of I-271 in Mayfield Heights, and people were going 90 miles an hour in a lot of cases. Right. I think Mayfield has that buffer, but if you're going over 80 through there, that's very reckless. And there, I, I've heard from people that say they've been scared driving along there because of the the Wild West nature of it. So it's uh, it, it, I, I think the East Clevelands and the Clevelands did this to themselves. By using them as cash grabs, it infuriated people, and they went to their legislators and said, this should stop. This is like another tax. If, if police did this in good faith and honestly, 
They might have been able to keep them and keep the roads safe. It's today in Ohio. East Cleveland could use that traffic camera money now based on an Ohio Supreme Court ruling this week. How much of a judgment is at stake and what did the Supreme Court rule, Laura? We are talking about $12 million that the city of East Cleveland must pay. It's a judgment and interest, a jury awarded to two people stuck by a police cruiser involved in a chase, which we know happens a lot in East Cleveland, but this was back in 2008. So the court unanimously agreed, no no written opinion, uh, signed opinion on this. Uh, they have to compel the payment, plus pre- and post-judgment interest. This was a request to the court by Charles Hunt and the estate of Marilyn Conrad. Hunt and Conrad were seriously injured when a police officer named Todd Karosha collided with the vehicle that Hunt was driving. And since then, Marilyn Conrad has died, unfortunately. But they, the Supreme Court bases this on a 1994 case, and it requires the city to pay the judgment. Of course, complicating this is the fact that East Cleveland has zero money, and a lot of attorneys have said they won't sue anymore because it's not they never get paid the problem is having this kind of judgment against the city probably makes it less likely than any other city would merge with east cleveland to help to help restore it to safety and and thriving because if you merge you're basically absorbing that judgment so you'd have to pay it nobody's going to get paid east cleveland has no money like you said i don't know can you can you force them to sell their fire trucks? I mean, is, I is I mean, there any power here to, you know, bu- you know, kick them out of City Hall and and sell City Hall? That is not included in the Supreme Court ruling. But they said they could be a payment plan. But you're right. Like, at what point do you say this city should not exist? Like, it, it. I mean, I know we've talked about that. The police chief is trying to clean it up. We're seeing things that there is improvements in East Cleveland. I don't know how you climb out of a hole like this when you owe millions and millions of dollars to other people and you have no very little assets. Yeah, it's just and now if Cleveland were to say, hey, we turn it into another Cleveland neighborhood, they would have to to take that that liability and they're not going to do that. That's a lot of money. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Americans have watched some key figures deteriorate and die from a devastating form of brain tumor called glioblastoma. People like John McCain, Ted Kennedy, and Joe Biden's son, Beau. How will Case Western Reserve University use a new $3 million grant in the battle to fight these tumors, Layla? Yes. As you said, glioblastoma is a very fast-growing brain tumor that kills 90% of patients within two years of diagnosis. Case has received this five-year, $3 million grant from the National Cancer Institute to enhance MRI technology to more accurately diagnose brain tumors. This new technology will be marketed to healthcare providers around the world. Current MRI scans apparently don't do a very good job of identifying the boundaries of brain tumors. And, um, you know, if all of the glioblastoma isn't removed surgically, the tumor can come back even after radiation and chemo. And um, data generated by current MRI scans is hard to interpret too. And that's, you know, hard to, uh, and it's hard to reproduce and and can vary vary based on the type of scanners. Uh, So the new technology under development is aimed at allowing MRIs to provide highly specific data, provide personalized treatment for patients, and improve the outcomes by measuring and predicting the spread of brain tumors in, in these patients. For, for me personally, this hits very close to home because I have two friends who's, who both lost parents to glioblastoma in the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. They both died within two years of diagnosis. 
And so hoping, I'm really hoping that this new technology will give patients a chance at at least a few more years with a decent quality of life. Just because early detection might be able to to stop it from overwhelming the brain? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and also I think that that when you're doing surgery to remove it, it gives you a better idea of whether the entire glioblastoma has been removed right. and, and uh, kind of gives you more time before it starts to return. Right. When I was, somebody, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Lisa. No, I was just going to say, I, I'm a subject matter expert on cancer. I had to write about it for MD Anderson. And glioblastoma, the problem with those tumors is you can never get them all out. They send out little tentacles mm -hmm. into the brain and they can be very hard to find. And so usually when they, when they, you know, resect a, a glioblastoma, they know they're not getting it all. So MRI would be great to find those little bitty pieces that go elsewhere into the brain. And preparing for this discussion, I was reading about it. And there is one researcher out there that is positing that the people who, who are highly educated and use their brains a lot are more vulnerable, that there's some connection between that. I don't know if, how much he's done to prove it, uh, but but that that's kind of a, hmm. a frightening thought, that the more people try <laughs> to educate themselves, the more likely it is they are to get brain tumors. Wow. That's terrifying. You, yeah, it is. You're listening to Today in Ohio, short podcast today, because we want to get Laura off to her birthday cake. <laughs> are you bringing one to the office <laughs> thanks Lisa thanks Laura thanks Layla thanks to everybody who listens to the podcast